So today, we're going to have a listen to Wanted The Outlaws, the album from 1976. It starts off with Waylon singing his song, My Heroes Have Always Been Cowboys. Great song, I love this song. There's a great story to go along with it too. It was written by a singer called Sharon Vaughan. Now Sharon had a bit of a recording deal herself with RCA at the time. And she was in recording a song called Back in the Country, written by Troy Seals and one W. Jennings. Now she knew Waylon was in the building at the same time she was recording. So when she finished it, she went over to his office and knocked on the door a little bit sheepishly and you know told him how much of a fan she was and she just recorded one of his songs and she'd be delighted if he'd give it a listen so Waylon said come on in throw it on there and she put it on and played it away you know sat there nervously and waited for his reaction and it got to the end of the song and he goes hits the stop and says well, that's a pretty good version, but that was written by Will Jennings, not me. So naturally enough, she was mortified. Now, if that was me, I was gone. I would have dug my hole in the ground, buried myself, done. But not Sharon. Sharon had a little more moxie in her. So instead, she said, wait there. I've got a song you'll love. And she ran out to her car where she had this other demo and came back into the office and told them, Look, I wrote this just for you. This, this is your song, which was a complete and utter lie. But besides that, she put on My Heroes Have Always Been Cowboys. And Waylon sat there for a second and then stopped her and said, Who wrote this? Sharon says, I wrote it. And Waylon goes, All right, okay. Hits play again. Another minute. Who wrote this again? And he did this a couple of times. At this stage, Sharon's getting a bit annoyed, you know? She's like, what's going on here? I wrote this song. And he's like, hits the stop when it's finished. And he gets straight on the phone. And he rings up Cowboy Jack Clement, his producer at the time, and recorded it that much. He loved the song that much. Absolutely adored it. And who could blame him? It is a great great song Sharon had written a brilliant song and I think the reason Wayland had so much trouble understanding she had wrote it was just how genuine it seems it seems like a cowboy off the trail wrote that song just a great great song and a brilliant start to the album Wanted the Outlaws we follow up then with a second Wayland song so we're starting off big time with Wayland not a big surprise he kind of picked most of the songs for the album so I guess he looked after himself on that the second song is um, Honky Tonk Heroes and uh, it was the title track of obviously enough his uh, album Honky Tonk Heroes it was written by Billy Joe Shaver and uh, the whole album the whole Wanted the Outlaw or Honky Tonk Heroes album sorry not Wanted the Outlaws the whole Honky Tonk Heroes album was songs by Billy Joe Shaver. I think there was one on it that wasn't his, the last song in the album, You Asked Me To, um, which was put on there at the request of the record label. But everything else were Billy Joe Shaver songs. And again, there's a nice story to go along with how that album got to be recorded. So seemingly Waylon heard Billy Joe singing his other song, Willie the Wandering Gypsy and Me once. 
and said to him afterwards, Jeez, man, that was brilliant. If you're ever in Nashville, come over, look me up. I'll take a listen to a few more of your songs and uh, we'll see what we'll do about them. So naturally enough, when Billy Joe got the chance, he headed straight for Nashville and looked up Waylon. Now, Waylon at the time was very chemically induced and he had completely forgotten about Billy Joe Shaver. He'd forgotten he'd met him, he'd forgotten his song, and he really had forgotten. He had promised to record to meet him and, you know, do his songs. So he just avoided them. And he did his best time and time again to stay away from this nut job who came along saying he wanted him to record his songs. Until eventually, one day outside his office, Billy Joe cornered Waylon and said, you're going to stay here and you're going to listen to my songs or I'm going to kick your behind. Now, at the time, Waylon had unusual bodyguards. The uh, Hells Angels motorbike gang had taken a liking to him and they used to hang around with him and look after him. So here's Waylon, a load of these big biker dudes surrounding them and Billy Joe saying, I'm going to kick your behind. And the biker started moving towards Billy Joe. So he was about to get his behind kicked. But Waylon stopped him and said, Son, you got guts. Come on in here, play me one song, let's see how it goes. So Billy Joe went in and played the song. Waylon said nothing. So Billy Joe kept playing and he played another song, and another song, and another song. And then Waylon remembered why he had said to this guy, Come on in, and I'm going to record some of your songs. They were brilliant, just absolutely brilliant songs, one after the other. And of course then Waylon turned around and recorded the album, Honky Tonk Heroes, all by Billy Joe Shaver. And just, just brilliant. And of course I got another little Lisa Life for that song by included on this Wanted the Outlaws album. Alright, so now we get to listen to someone else. So Wanted the Outlaws isn't all about Waylon. Like I said, it was, it was called The Outlaws. So what they were trying to do was take in the outlaw movement that had grown. It never really been given a name. I think it's just a nickname. And it wasn't really a movement as such. It was just a few country singers who just broke away from the system a little. One of them, and one other of them, being Jessie Coulter, Waylon's wife. And this is her we're hearing singing at the moment. Isn't she brilliant? Just listen to that song. Listen to that singing. So this is her song, I'm Looking for Blue Eyes, written by Jessie herself. She did, she did that. She was a singer and songwriter. It's a re-recording. The original song was called What's Happened to Blue Eyes. And it came from her second album just called I'm Jessie Coulter. So even though technically Wanted the Outlaws is a compilation album of what was supposed to be previously released as tracks, the first song, My Heroes Have Always Been Cowboys, as far as I can make out, was recorded especially for this album, because I can't find it on any other Waylon recording. And this song then, obviously, is a re-recording, so the original version is on her second album, but again, this version, as far as I know, is only on Wanted the Outlaws. So you actually did have to get this album to get those songs. The idea of the album came from 
a Nashville executive called Jerry Bradley. Now, he was always looking for the next big thing. And he was a bit annoyed that he let Willie Nelson get away from him. He still had Waylon, but Willie had gone. Willie had left. And it, even Waylon was doing his own thing. So Jerry was trying to get away to bring them back into the fold. And he came up with this idea of taking some of their bigger, or best songs, best songs. I won't even say bigger songs, because at the end of the day, Waylon picked them. So he just thought the whole outlaw thing was great and he wanted to get it together and get it out there and that's what should be done the singers make the music and the record executives figure out how to sell it and that's what this album did here we are now moving on to jesse's next song you mean to say great song i love this <laughs> i like jesse coulter this was actually one of her really older songs, written and sung before she was even called Jessie Coulter. She wrote it herself again. And it was originally on a single, a double-sided kind of signal. And the other track been on it called The Golden Rocket. It was from 1971 and was recorded under her original name of Miriam Eddy. So Miriam's her, her actual name. Eddy was her married name at the time. She was married to the guitarist Dwayne Eddy and she met Waylon while the two of them were married. Waylon was married to someone else at the time as well. And they met up later after the two were divorced and, and got together. So this comes from slightly before that time. Jesse's career, it's so, well, it, in a way it's a shame. With Waylon, he was all about the music. Willie Nelson, all about the music. They had to get that out there. Jesse, music was part of her a big part of her but it was only part of her she had other aspects to her and the music never totally encompassed her so she made decisions in her life which affected her career negatively but not because they were bad decisions on her part she knew what she was doing it's just at that time that decision was right for her she knew it wasn't right for her music career but it was right for her as a person and because of that I think we did miss out on a lot of amazing music because as you can hear when you listen to the couple of songs from Jessie on this she was an incredible she is an incredible talent she's still around she released a new album there not well it's a few years ago at this stage but she's still out there she's still making music when she wants to but as I said that wasn't her main goal in life. She had other things going on and that's what made her happy. We're going to stay now, thank God, with a little bit of Jessie, but some Waylon thrown in as well. So the fifth song here on the album is a song we all know called Suspicious Minds, but we don't know this version. Well, I didn't anyways, and I'd say a lot of people who aren't big country fans don't know it either. But of course we know the song. The song is written by Mark James, who also co-wrote, funnily enough, Always On My Mind. The song itself, of course, is Elvis. You know, no Suspicious Minds. Everyone who knows music at all should know Suspicious Minds by Elvis. And Mark James, who wrote this, as I was saying, also co-wrote Always On My Mind, and which again was a big Elvis hit and also a Willie Nelson hit. So plenty of crossover there between the rock pop and the country which musicians do you know we put labels on music but 
musicians, it's either a good song or it's a bad song. And this, of course, is a good song. Namark recorded it himself originally when he wrote it in 68 and it did nothing so Elvis got his hands on it and recorded it in 69. Elvis's producer at the time was Chip Moman and the guy playing guitar on Suspicious Minds, Elvis's version of it, was Reggie Young. Two people who went on to work extensively with Waylon in their future years. So Chip's producing them and Reggie Young toured with them, you know, so again plenty of crossover there. Waylon and Jesse's version comes from, again, just a year later, in 1970. So it did really well, well, reasonably well, when it was released as country, going to number 25. But when it was re included on Wanted the Outlaws, it went stratospheric and went all the way to number two in the charts. They didn't release too many singles from Wanted because, again, they were previous songs, you know? so. It was kind of a case of, it was the package that was important here. So they just released a couple of sang singles, singles, what's wrong with me? Singles to promote the album, just to let people know that the album was out there. And it was that whole concept of the outlaw that they were trying to sell. It was a great cover in this album. Just They looked like pictures from old wanted posters, one of Waylon and Jesse and Willie Nelson and Tom Paul Glaser, and they just slapped them on the top of the cover great looking cover but this is one of the singles they picked it to release and like i said it went all the way to number two in the charts and got a nice promotion there for the album it's a very different version to elvis's version and it took me a while to get used to it i didn't like it at first i'll have to be honest just because it was so different and i was so used to elvis's version and i always loved the elvis's version obviously enough but once I kind of was able to box it off and just appreciate it for who it was, it's actually a great duet. The two of them play off each other so, so well. And it builds brilliantly at the end. Starts off again a little bit slower and takes a while to get going. But uh, the two of them, yeah, you can hear how well they got along in the music when they recorded a great song like this and I do, I've, I've become to really love it at this stage let's just give it a little more listen here when it's still whoop whoop in there I love it when it's that just so full of energy by the end racing along racing racing along okay next up is the song this is the song i knew when i was growing up the song that most people probably know off this album and is the big Waylon and willie song a good-hearted woman now the original song comes from a Waylon album from 1972 of the same name a good-hearted woman it's a studio recording just a straightforward studio recording and um, went all the way to number three when it was released as a single this version though again a little bit different so as i was saying this is a compilation album all songs released before but not quite fully and this is another one of those not quite fully songs this version of it is live obviously but at the same time, when you listen to it, you go, well, it's, is it really? It sounds a bit 
So the original version is from Waylon's live album. I think it was released a year before Outlaws, like 70, 75, 74 maybe. But a little bit before this. And it was just Waylon singing. So what they did is they went into the studio with Willie and Willie overdubbed his singing onto the live version. So they basically mixed the two together. They took Waylon's live stuff, took some of his vocals out and replaced it with Willie in the studio. So it isn't a straight live record, but it keeps the live feel of the original track and adds in that extra element of Willie. So again, Waylon and Willie working together, magic just pure magic and this single was huge so like I said the original studio version of Wayland's went to number three this naturally enough went to number one smash hit smash smash hit and went on to be the CMA single of the year for 1976 so even though this wanted the Outlaws album was supposed to not be an original album it was only meant to get old tracks out there Waylon didn't leave it like that. He, he put a little extra input into it. So it wasn't just a straight copy, uh, just a collection of songs. It was an album. It had a tread running through it. They took that little Wanted the Outlaws and kind of stuck with it. So all the songs were just a little bit left of center. Nothing too straight, you know? Brilliant, brilliant. And again, this song, oh, the original, brilliant. And it's, it was written, I think, by Waylon and Willie, um, and was inspired, believe it or not, by Ike and Tina Turner. I think there was a show at the time which had that good time and woman, good time and mad line to it. And during the poker game, the two of them just sat down and wrote this song. And it sounds autobiographical. You'd swear it was all about Waylon himself. We're moving on now to Heaven and Hell. This song is written by Willie Nelson, but were performed at this stage by Waylon Jennings. It comes from Waylon's 1974 album, This Time. Waylon's first number one album, not a million seller. Wanted Yellows, did I say already? First million selling country album. Which seems a bit strange now, you know, like, now, Country albums, in the States anyways, can go all the way to the top of the charts, no bother. It can be released in number one. Whereas back then, different story. So this album went to number one in the country charts, but still only number ten in the pop charts. And yet, huge smash. First country album to sell a million records. So it's really where the start of modern day country popularity started. Garth Brooks blew it up in the 90s, but Waylon and Willie had laid that foundation and taken country outside of the core country audience back in the 70s already. So maybe it's their fault it's gone all broke country. No, no, I don't believe that for a second. So getting back to the song, Heaven and Hell. Like I said, written by Willie, this version is Waylon's from his album this time. Willie's original version came from his 1974 album, Phases and Stages, which is one of Willie's concept albums now I hear it's a great album I haven't listened to myself yet I'll have to be honest but it's one I plan to listen to his version of it is a lot more upbeat I gave that a listen alright um, very different very different but both great versions both great versions and speaking of Willie here we go here's the man himself by himself no more wailing help in the mouth 
So this is me and Paul, a song written about his drummer Paul, not me unfortunately. And it's just about the life they shared on the road, another real time story from the guys. And that's what Waylon and Willie did, they wrote about their lives. And it's why everything seems so good and honest and true to themselves. So like I said, it's about his drummer, Paul English was his name, and it came from the album Yesterday's Wine, another one of Willie's great albums. It's just got a nice rhythm to it. I love it. Getting back to the album itself. Wanted the Outlaws, like I said, by Jerry Bradley. The idea came because, like I said, at the time, Waylon and Willie and Jesse and the one artist we've yet to hear from, Tom, Tom Paul Glazer, were seen as outlaws by the national community. Now, the name Outlaw wasn't like it wasn't a label Waylon gave himself or Willie gave them. It came from a, a Rolling Stones article, I think, where the writer referred to them as outlaws. Now they didn't see themselves as outlaws, not as such. They just wanted to record music their way. They didn't really fit into the Nashville system. Now they'd given it a shot. Willie had been a good songwriter, but he wanted to be a performer as well. But none of the producers in Nashville really saw him as a performer. They, they loved his talent as a songwriter. And of course he's most famous back then as being what was it, Patsy Cline's Crazy. Jeez, how did I forget that? The, he wrote Crazy, huge hit for Patsy Cline. And that's basically where they pigeonholed him. And he was like, no, I want to be a performer. So he went back to Austin and he started his career there. And he built up his fan base and he started performing and recording there outside of the Nashville fold. Waylon had recorded in Nashville a lot more and had a level of success as well. But it was weighing heavy on him, it was wearing him out. He just seemed to be chasing his tail, constantly trying to catch up and never quite becoming successful. So he always seemed to owe money to the record label. He'd go out on tour to try and make up for that money and then he'd have to make another album. Then he'd owe more money to the record label. Bam, off he went again. And he was just getting sick of it and it was actually physically wearing him out. And eventually, his drummer came to him, Richie Albright, and said to him, don't give up just yet, don't give up one. Do one more album, do it your way. And that's what he did. He just stopped listening to all the suits, and he went and recorded albums his way. And that's when it all started. And, he, and Tom Paul Glaser, again, who we've to get to yet, his couple of songs are coming up, he was of the same mind. And himself and his brothers, they were more famous as the Glacier Brothers. They had actually set up their own recording studios. And a lot of these people who didn't really want to go into Nashville wound up recording there. And then the success started. And nothing gets the money guy's attention more than making money. So they were a little peeved. They were a little like, these guys are making money and we've got no involvement in it. We want to get in. So that's where the idea of the Outlaws album came from. All right, let's just listen to Willie here for a second. Miracles appear in the strangest places. I am not the biggest Willie Nelson fan, but I actually love these two tracks. And the way he sings this is just brilliant. The last time I saw you. 
Willie at his best. So this is the title track to the album, Yesterday's Wine. So it's going to come in here now in a second. Your presence is welcome with me and my friends. Sorry, I'm just kind of swaying to the music here, getting lost in it. I really, the reason I'm talking so much in this one is because as soon as I stop and start listening, I just keep listening. I won't stop. Okay, I gotta listen a little bit more. Here it goes. Yesterday's wine. I'm yesterday's wine. This song is actually a perfect example of how frustrated Willie and Wayne were getting with the whole Nashville system. The album Yesterday's Wine was one of Willie's personal favorites. He absolutely loved it. He thought it was his best work up to that time. And the record label didn't believe in it. They didn't back it. And the album flopped because of it. No matter how good a record is, if it's not promoted, if it's not pushed, if people don't get a chance to hear it, it's not going to do anything. So it doesn't matter how much you put into recording it, if your record label doesn't push it and get it out there, forget it, it's not happening. And that's what happened to this album. And it was one of the reasons that Willie got so frustrated with the system. And of course it got a second chance here. Now. What basically had to happen is the public had to come along and beat the record labels over the head and go, look, these guys are great. Let us hear more from them before it got listened to, which is a shame, which is, and it still goes on this day. The formulaic stuff is still out there and it's so hard to get something different and fresh through, which is such a shame, such a shame. And just to prove how good this song was, back in 1982, George Jones and Merrill Haggard got a hold of it and did a duet on it and took it all the way to number one. So again, you just the record labels didn't know what they had. But thankfully Waylon and Willie did and the, the people who did get to hear it did and it eventually found massive audience, massive audience. Now. We're going to hear G for no, Texas, T for Tennessee. Okay, sorry, I'm listening again. Got to start talking. This is a podcast. We're not here just to listen to the record. So this is Tom Paul Glaser. Now, this is a guy hard, very hard to get a hold of. There's very little of his music out there. As far as I can tell, his only solo stuff is these two tracks. He recorded for a lot of years with his brothers, um, the Glacier brothers, and they had massive success themselves. And Tom Paul was always kind of the leader as far as the band image was concerned. He did most of the vocals and everything. But these were all stubborn men and it kind of fell apart and he did his own solo thing for a while. His solo career was never quite as popular as what he did with his brothers, but it was still a good solid career by all accounts, and yet very little of it's out there. Like I said, all I can find are these two tracks from the Wanted the Outlaws album. And yet he was a huge name for getting these songs out there. If it wasn't for him and his brother setting up this studio, there's a lot of these songs probably wouldn't have gotten recorded. 
So it was, would have been a huge, huge loss if he hadn't been there. And his own music was supposed to be brilliant. Waylon was a huge fan of his at one stage, you know, massive fan of his. So I don't know why his music hasn't lived on in the same way as Waylon and Willie. When I look at Jessie's, I can kind of see why her music hasn't lived on as much. And again, nothing to do with the quality of it. It's amazing, amazing music. Again, it's down to the decisions she made, her own personal decisions in her life that affected the music side of her career. But like I said, that was what she wanted to do. Nothing bad there, that was just what she wanted to do. Whereas Tom Paul, just like Waylon and Willie, was all about the music. So it's very confusing and annoying to me that his music hasn't lived on a little bit more. I'd love to get my hands on more of his music. Now some of his brother's stuff is still out there. I think there's a few um, greatest hits collections out there, which I'll definitely got to check out. But it just seems a shame when you listen to these two songs, which are great, why more of his solo stuff isn't out there. And it's, it reminds me a little of Jerry Reed in the way he approaches it, um, because it's more comedic, comedic, what's wrong with me today, comedic country. So very tongue in cheek, doesn't take himself too seriously. The music obviously is taken seriously, but it's really meant to be had fun with. You know, this is music probably done for the dance floor and the, the honky-tonks, not for kind of sitting down and listening to in an auditorium. Just, yeah, nice honky-tonk music there. Great, great music. This song, Tea for Texas, is a Jimmy Rogers song. It was also called Blue Yodel Number One. And their songs Jimmy did, he did about 13 of them, all the Blue Yodel songs between 1927 and when he died in 1933. So it's real, real old country, you know, taken all the way back. And the originals sound very different, very different to what Tom Paul has done there. But, you know, it goes to show, good songs, even if they're out of their time, they live, they survive. All it takes is reinterpretation and update, and they'll be just as fresh as ever. So a good song will live on. It doesn't really matter when it was written, if it's quality, anyone can take a listen to it, feel it, get in touch with it, put their own take on it, and it can be a hit all over again, and a great song all over again. We're almost coming to an end here now, folks. We're on to the last song. And again, we're finishing off with another Tom Paul Glazer song. Here you go. Just, just another really fun, fun song. It's written by Shel Severston and it actually comes from an album where Tom Paul did like Waylon did with Billy Joe Shaver and sang nothing but Shel Severston songs for an album. It's just a little more unoriginally called Tom Paul Sings the Songs of Shel Silverstein. And it's just a real throwaway song as far as lyrics. It's again very tongue in cheek because if you took it serious, you'd give the guy a black eye, especially if you're a woman. But, uh, but don't take it serious at all, at all. So there we go. We're just coming to the end now of the album, Wanted the Outlaws, and I've barely shut up through the whole thing. But like I said, if I didn't keep talking, I wouldn't have said that. I would have just listened to the album. And that's what you need to do. It is such a great album. It is a great taster. All right, so you get in, you listen to this album, and then you take yourself from there. 
definitely you're going to get yourself some great Waylon Jennings music out of it you're going to get some great Willie Nelson music out of it you're going to get some damn good Jesse Coulter music out of it even though there isn't much by Jesse out there there is a couple again of hits compilations so they got to be checked out sadly like I said there's not much of Tom Paul out there which really is a shame but hopefully it, it will happen someday like this stuff is all there somewhere all it's going to take especially in this digital age where you don't physically have to make CDs they just have to be put on the server somewhere hopefully someone will see the worth in going into his back catalogue and re-releasing it like I said his the stuff he did with his brothers is out there so that's probably worth checking out and that's something I'm going to do myself happen yet but I'm going to do myself so do not just listen to this album and stop there. Use it as a stepping stone. Let it take you further on. When you go and find this album, you'll probably find an album with a lot more tracks on it. Reason for that being is it was re-released in 1996 for the 20th anniversary. And what they did, in, they took the 11 original tracks, obviously, and they also included other tracks that Waylon was considering putting on the album at the time but in the end went with the the original 11 track collection but they're all great songs you know like they easily could have been the same album and it would have been just as big a hit i think and there is one extra track it's called oh what's it called i haven't got it in front of me and it's gone for me but there is one track recorded just for that 20th anniversary release by waylon and willie written by and produced by Steve Earle and it's a Nowhere Road that's what it's got sorry Nowhere Road written by Steve Earle the track was produced by Steve Earle and it's great so if you do get a hold of that 20th anniversary edition that's well worth checking out so there we go Wanted the Outlaws great album the first country album to sell a million copies and it just laid the foundations for the popularity the country music found that's it for today Thanks very much for listening to my very much rambling thoughts today. The podcast, as always, is available on Podomatic. It's on iTunes. It's on Spotify. And I'm going to try and get them all up on YouTube as well. So keep listening out for that. You may find that some of the older podcasts are going to start disappearing now. Because I only have so much space on Podomatic to keep these. But what I am going to do is make sure all the older ones are loaded up to YouTube before they're deleted off the servers. So if you don't find older ones on the podcast, you will find them on the YouTube channel. So there we go, folks. Thanks very much for listening and hopefully we'll be back again soon. In the meantime, enjoy the music. <laughs>